As we learn and grow in our faith, it's natural to develop questions about the Bible or the life of faith as we encounter our life experiences from the perspective of faith. On this episode of Groundwork, we're going to dig deep into Scripture and spend time talking about your questions regarding our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, and what happens after death. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, this is uh, the second of two listener question programs. And I think if people listen to Groundwork regularly, and particularly if you listen to the very end of each episode, you know that we always say we have a website, groundworkonline.com. Send us your questions, email questions, send a physical letter, and you do. And so uh, we've collected uh, several of those. We answered, I think, three or four questions on the previous program, and we've got three questions here, although our producer assures us that the three questions we're going to answer here are questions similar to which a lot of other people have asked questions as well. So that's what we're going to do um, in this program. Looking forward to being able to just kind of dig in and help people to understand the questions that their faith kind of gets stuck on. And it's good that we could help people to know what's going on so that they could continue in their walk with Jesus. One question that someone sent in said that as a believer— what more do I need to do or learn to become closer to the Lord and figure out what God's true calling is for me? I'm stuck in a bad situation, and I'm having, trying to have faith that the Lord will guide me through. So, Daryl, it's basically a question like, how do I know what God wants me to do? Not sure maybe what I'm supposed to do for a job, for a career, what I'm supposed to do maybe in my church. What, what am I good at? What's my? How is God calling me, and how do I figure that out? I think that's, uh, you know, and how can I be confident that I'm following the lead of the Lord? I think that's the upshot of the question. Oh, man. You know, as a pastor, I really wish I would get this question more often, this direct and this clear. And so I hope that we can demystify what it means to walk with Jesus and understand what calling is. I mean, there's that word calling in itself, Scott, is really something that Christian circles have made really enigmatic. And I think if we think about there are things that we can talk about as far as passions, as far as giftings, as far as goals. And I think that it's important for us to lay out some things that help people in their spiritual disciplines, because that's part of this, too. Exactly. The English word vocation comes from the Latin voca, which means to call or to be called. So a vocation is your calling. And I think one thing that I just want to mention right away, and that is that a lot of people have the, the, the sense that, well, pastors get calls, but the rest of us just kind of kind of muddle through and figure it out, right? But I always want to say, yeah, you know, and I don't know, Daryl, when you were a seminarian, uh, maybe when you were interviewed by a church or something— how often didn't you get the question, tell us about your call to the ministry, Daryl. Tell us about your call to the ministry, Scott, and then we tell our call story. And But everybody should have a call story. If you're a lawyer, a teacher, an auto mechanic, a tutor, you know, whatever, if you're in business, everybody, I think, should sense that God has called them. And the question is, how do we all discern what that call is? And and in what context, I think, Daryl, do, do we do it? You just mentioned prayer, meditation, scripture reading. Yes. You know, these are all ways by which God speaks 
speaks to us very clearly. I also think that he speaks through other people. Mm. So it's important for us to know that for in my own testimony of what this call is, I had a mentor walking with me, helping me to discern. And we see that all over scripture. We see Samuel with Eli when he's getting a call from the Lord. He doesn't even know the voice of the Lord. And Eli says, oh, wait, I need to guide you here. Paul does it with Timothy. There's, Jesus does it with his disciples. There's always someone in community that can help you to discern what are your gifts? What are your passions? What do you feel called to? And they got spiritual assessments as well. You can take the spiritual gifts to understand what gifts I have, where they could be used. And there's a variety of different ways to do that. But I think it happens in relationship and it doesn't have to happen on your own or by yourself. You mentioned the Samuel story. And indeed, that's a wonderful story where we're told that the, the, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So it wasn't a spiritually robust time in Israel's history. So when God calls Samuel, you know, he goes to his mentor, Eli, the priest. And the first two times, Eli just says, you know, you're dreaming. Go back to bed, kid. Don't, don't bother me. But then the third time, he's like, oh, wait a minute. Right. Maybe this really is God calling you. So go back and say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And Samuel does that. So he needed that help. I think we've all needed that help. I think there is a, another popular misconception. So if one misconception is that only pastors get calls, that's not true. We all get a call. The other one is that uh, you discern your call, just you and Jesus, just you and the Spirit. Right. You got to wait for God to speak from above or put handwriting on the wall. But as you just said, Daryl, we discern our calling best in community. Right? Accountability groups, Bible study groups, whatever it might be, other people are also the voice of God in our lives. And I will say with my own call story to the ministry, um, when I first, during my first year at Calvin College, I didn't know what I was going to do. I thought maybe I'd go into journalism, but halfway through the second semester, I felt God calling me to be a, go to seminary. I resisted it for a long time, but finally I kind of started praying about it. And then I talked to my mentor, who was a good mentor, my pastor that I'd known for a long time. And he was very wise. And he said, just take a few steps in that direction, which took the pressure off me, right? Yeah. Just be tentative. Just head that way and see if there's confirmation. So I did. I kind of relaxed about it. So I just, you know, started telling people about it. And then all of a sudden, all these other people came around me and said, We've been thinking that about you for a while. Now, they'd never said it before, right? But, you know, my best friend's parents said, well, we've been thinking that you should be a minister for a while. It's like, what? Other people confirmed that. And yes. I think that's true of anybody with gifts for the law, for business, for teaching, for, you know, being a, a really good engineer or an auto mechanic. Other people will confirm your gifts and your calling. It reminds me of the book that Os Guinness wrote called The Call. And there's two different ones. There's an external call and an internal mm -hmm. call. With the internal call, you have your own personal convictions of what you think it might be, and you're testing out like that, what you said, Scott. But then the external is when the people come around you that know you and begin to affirm and confirm what it is that they see in you. So then you got this dual confirmation and stereo sound, if you will. So I feel this, I sense this, I'm trying these things out, and I don't know for sure, but then there are other people who could confirm that. And we should say, uh, just in all honesty, it is a bit of a process, and it doesn't always go quickly. Some people do experience false starts. They try something, and it doesn't go well, and they kind of have to fall back and regroup. So, you know, the, the clarion voices of confirmation 
don't always come right away. This can take a while, but don't be discouraged, right? God is with you. Continue to pray. Continue to ask for God to speak to you through others or through something or another. And I think eventually we have good hope that that will come. And, you know, I mean, we, we've talked to people who sometimes didn't find their true calling till they were 40 years old, but yeah. they did find it. Moses is at 80. There you go. Never too late. So I think that's the great thing here, Daryl, to discern your call and where the Lord is guiding you in community. Listen to the other people around you, for they often are also the voice of God. We have a somewhat similar question um, in the next part of the program, a question about the Holy Spirit and our relationship with God. So stay tuned for that. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. I'm Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and you're listening to Groundwork. And today, Daryl, we're looking at listener questions. We just had one about discerning one's calling in life. But here's another question that came in. How do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and how do I get into deep presence with God? Yeah, baptism of the Holy Spirit. What a pregnant term. So it just depends on what uh, denomination you come from, how deep they go with their theology on this. There are Pentecostal circles. Their whole theology is built on being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they say that that has the evidence of speaking in tongues and other things that manifest um, in the life of the believer. But I believe that it's important for us to remember in the Reformed tradition that we serve a triune God. And that triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have a relationship with the believer. And so this is a step that we need to understand that salvation, they come together when they come with you and have a relationship with you. That's an initial place to start in this conversation. And I think it's important for our sisters and brothers and other church traditions who do think there is a second baptism, a baptism specifically of the Spirit. You know, I, I respect that. And I think that, that something with the Spirit does happen like that. We In the Reformed tradition, we would call that sort of an uncovering of their gifts, sure. uh, you know, a manifestation of, of different gifts for different people. But what you just said was important. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he said to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that triune baptism right, brings us into the, the fullness of God. Uh, but that is not to say, however, that there aren't examples in the New Testament, uh, and particularly in the book of Acts, where some of this gets a, a little mixed up. So, I mean, one of them is uh, from Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to some Italian, non-Jewish, non-Israelite people, Cornelius and his family uh, in, in Italy, and Peter kind of preaches to them in Cornelius's house. And then in Acts 10, verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So there's an example, Daryl, where the Holy Spirit comes first 
And then they say, well, we got to baptize them now. <laughs> the Spirit's on them. And keep in mind, they weren't so sure they could baptize non-Jews uh, right. at this point. But here they sort of realize, well, God's working. And so we recognize that and baptize them accordingly. But even then wasn't a second baptism. They gave the full baptism because the Spirit was clearly already working in these people's lives. And that's the Reformed tradition's understanding and that if you come to a place of knowledge and salvation, it has to be because the spirit has already been working. Right. And so when you hear in these different circles, some of the circles that I've been experienced with when they're talking about being baptized in the spirit, they're talking about being filled in order for something to happen. There are evidences in scripture where you see that Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit before he preaches a word or Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit before he heals someone or he does some sort of miracle that Jesus Jesus has taught him to do. And so we see that there's a feeling that happens for an actual act or service in the book of Acts that Peter was filled with the spirit before he preached at Pentecost. Right. And so we see that there are a variety of different ways that these things happen, but it's all coming from the relationship with the triune God. Yep. Now there's another verse right here in Acts chapter 19, where Apollos is in Corinth and it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy spirit when you believed? They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. So Paul says, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 men in all. So you see how they had a baptism already. They had one in baptism with John. Right. But then Jesus came to bring the gospel and the fulfillment of the gospel. And then the Holy Spirit comes on them. So the triune God is still involved. The salvation comes first. And then the baptism, which is actually a sign and a seal that is taught by our Reformed tradition. Right. And this Acts 19 passage is one some believers, some traditions use as evidence that there is such a thing as a second baptism of the Spirit. But it's important to realize that these people had not been baptized in the name of Jesus and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So that you for sure know they weren't baptized in the name of the Spirit because right. they hadn't even heard of it. They only knew John the Baptist. And this isn't the only time when the disciples or the apostles bumped into people who only knew about John the Baptist and maybe even thought John the Baptist was the Messiah, uh, that he was the, the Messiah. So they had to correct that. So this isn't really a second baptism in which they received the Spirit. This is their first baptism right. uh, because John's baptism was just a forerunner to Jesus. Now, all of that said, though, Daryl, this is not to say that we shouldn't earnestly desire for the Spirit to fill us right. in our lives and to renew us and to unleash some gifts that we maybe don't even know we have. You know, in Galatians 5, after giving the list of the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says to the Galatians, now keep step with the Spirit. And you get that a lot. It's sort of like, you know, yeah, it's all the Spirit's work, but we can cooperate with that and pray for that and pray for a greater filling of the Holy Spirit. That, I completely believe, is legitimate. 
I think it's important, Scott, to remember that the Spirit's mission and job is to conform us to the image of the Son each and every day. So He convicts us when we're wrong. He loves us into a position where we're able to make better decisions and change our ways. He gives us the power to live there. And I think that the second part of the question that was asked was, how do I get into the deep presence with God? Mm -hmm. I think it is what you're saying here to be keeping step with the Spirit, allow Him to convict you when you're wrong, humbly admit your sins, have accountability from other people who are spirit filled, who believe in Jesus. But as long as we don't make this a salvation issue, we're not going to run in the hot water. But I think that this is a ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit that helps you to live in humility and learn from him each day. Right. The Holy Spirit's job is to be our living connection to Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. The Spirit connects us to Jesus and all of Jesus' power flows into us through the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, Paul's talking about this matter of gifts, but also this this idea of being in deeper relationship with God. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, and gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. So we don't all show the Spirit in the same way, Paul is saying, but ask the Spirit to show up in your life somehow so that your particular charism, your particular gift can be unleashed in service uh, to God. Well, in just a moment, we're going to turn our attention to a question about Christian teaching and what happens after death. So stay tuned. What does it mean to be a Christian and a fan of movies, music, television, and video games? I'm Josh Larson, editor of thinkchristian.net and host of the Think Christian podcast. I invite you to join us for faith-filled reflections on pop culture. Visit us at thinkchristian.net or search for the Think Christian podcast, where we'll be talking about what it means to be a follower of Christ, even in the playful moments of our lives. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, we have a a third question that we're going to take up in this program of listener questions. We're responding to questions that you, our listeners, have sent in to us for the last year. And here's one that comes up often. What happens after death? So many people think we go straight to heaven, but the Bible clearly states this earthly system will end and then the dead will be raised and the earth is restored to its former glory, or is that heaven? So why isn't this the logical outcome at the front of Christian teaching? So what happens after we die, but before Christ comes again? You know, it's important, I think, for us to remember the fact that we're going into uncharted waters here, Scott. Mm. (laughs) I mean... There are some people who have seen or heard testimonies about people who have went over to the quote unquote other side and came back and they could tell you what's going on there. But the scripture is not very detailed on what exactly happens. And in our finite state, we just need to be humble and say we might not be sure about all the things that every single detail is not made clear to us. But we do have a few things that we could learn from that might give us a perspective that actually points to hope in the relationship we have with Christ and not on the hour a minute 
or second of what is going to happen immediately after we close our eyes on this side of glory. Right. And by the way, those uh, people who, you know, came back and said they saw a bright light or the, I mean, we call those near death experiences for a reason. They didn't die. <laughs> right. <laughs> when people really die, they don't come back to tell us about it. Uh, only one has done that so far and it's Jesus. And he had a few things to say about it, but right. We don't want to get too hung up on not knowing all the specifics. I think we're going to talk about some options here for a minute, but at the end of the day, we, we trust it's going to be good. We, you know, we, we are in the hands of the Lord, and that should be enough for us one way or the other. That said, we get this question, Daryl. We're pastors. You've done funerals. You've walked with people as up high in the hour of death, and it is not at all unusual for people to say, where is mom now? You yeah. know, or, or my husband died. Where, where is he? You know, is, is he still conscious? Is he happy? Is he, you know, in our reform tradition, uh, we've never really nailed down a single answer. You can read confessions of the reform tradition and the theology, and there's no definitive answer. There have been traditionally three options, and I'll just run through real quickly. One, which my grandma, uh, Jose, believed in, was soul sleep. And that is that when your body dies, your soul just takes a really long nap. And you're not aware, but you wake up at the last day when then Jesus restores your body to you at the last judgment and the resurrection at the last day. Soul sleep. A version of this is extinctionism. When we die, we die. Body, soul, everything. You're just gone. You do not exist at all anywhere. Uh, your soul isn't asleep. It's dead. But God brings all of you back at the last day, body and soul together. And then there's the one that's probably more common in the Reformed tradition that's called the intermediate state, where our soul is separated from our body, but we're aware, we're happy, we're in the presence of the Lord, and we're awaiting the return of our bodies at the last day. So here we are aware, waiting for the last day, but we're in a good place, even though somewhat unnaturally, we're without a body. So this intermediate state that you're talking about now is a place where we're fully conscious of what's happening, but we're separated from our earthly temple. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us about how we're going to be, we're going to get our new glorified body that we'll be able to be reunited with. I mean, especially in situations where there's a cremation or even body decay in natural state, whatever happens with that, we have an idea of what happens are we aware of this? Does this happen? Are we sure about it? And, you know, there's two ways to look at it. There's a scientific, physical way, and then there's a pastoral way to talk about people who really cared about mom and dad. You have to be careful when you're communicating with them right. so that they could get a little bit clearer picture on something that's kind of dim for us on this side of heaven. And in, in favor of that view that there is sort of a conscious time if we can even use the word time, uh, the famous passage in Philippians 1 where Paul, you know, says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, that'll mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So here Paul is saying, if I die, I'm going to go be with Christ. And now he doesn't get any more specific than that, right? But right. he's not talking about the last judgment day. He's saying, when I die, I will be with Jesus. And then, of course, the other famous one, Luke 23, the thief on the cross, you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I tell you, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. So again, the idea that something happens right after we die, but well short of the end of all history and the final resurrection where we are with God. I think that in our finiteness, we get caught up in the chronos time 
mm. um, the ticks, the talks, the seconds, the minutes. And so this question cannot be specifically answered in our finiteness. And on this side of glory, we can't say, okay, we got this many seconds because we often say at funerals that they went from time into eternity. And right. eternity means there is no time. There is no measurable seconds to it. So we can't use these clocks on our walls to measure what that is. And so that's why we can't have a clear perspective on when it happens, where it happens, what's, how long is it happening. Those things won't be very helpful for us. But the fact that we are with Jesus and we are with the Father, we are with the Spirit, that should be the place where our comfort comes from because we serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. Exactly. And, of course, this can get over-sentimentalized or sometimes, you know, even preachers at funerals or other people talking uh, to the bereaved go a little farther and say, well, I'm sure he's on that great golf course in the sky. You know, I'm sure he's you know having great golf in heaven or whatever the person like to do. We say, well, he's still doing that. Well, we don't know anything like that. What we do know is what you just said. We believe in a God of resurrection. We believe in a God of new life and of eternal life. And so whatever it means— wherever it is, if you can even speak in such terms, we will be with the Lord. And that's what Paul said in Philippians 1. And at the end of the day, you know, sometimes people want us pastors to get more specific. They don't want us to say, well, I'm not, I don't really know. But we don't really know. But what we do know is it'll be good. Because as Paul said, you know, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Romans 8, not even death. And that, thanks be to God, is our hope. Well, thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Daryl Delaney with Scott Jose, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue to dig deeply into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. Connect with us at GroundworkOnline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or to tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. 